Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. God, I was going to see so many people I liked here, so this is really exciting. Um, hi. I'm so excited. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit from the book. Are we, yeah, all right, okay. Um, uh, and then we're going to talk, and then if you guys have any questions, I can answer questions, too. Um, and so the book is, in the first couple of pages of the book, um, it's, we meet this man, Victor Tuckman, and he almost immediately has a heart attack, and I put him in a coma for the rest of the book. <laughs> and that's where he stays forever, or until something happens. Um, so, because um, that, I, and, and that was it. That's what I wanted to have happen to him. There's a lot of wish fulfillment in this book. And um, so anyway, Victor Tuckman, bad rich man, coma and he has different family members that are sort of dealing with the coma so he has this wife Barbara who um, is the secret keeper and then he has his daughter Alex who wants to know the secrets about him and she is um, she's divorced she was married to a man named Bobby who is very handsome and he lives in Colorado and their daughter is visiting him in Colorado for the summer and Alex is, is down dealing with the um, with the with the sick father and then there's the um, her brother Gary who's actually out in LA and if I I don't write autobiographical fiction but if I were to pick one character in the book that I was like it would be Gary because he's like in an Airbnb and he keeps missing the flight home and he's just getting high in the Airbnb and I'm like that's what I would I would just keep missing the flight home because I would not want to deal with the bad dad so um, and then um, and his wife Twyla who kind of has her own secrets yeah Twyla I know when Alyssa was reading it she was texting me like I am don't judge me but I'm Twyla so she's the worst she's no she's so good though she's so good um but bad but good really um bad. and she likes she's a makeup makeup girl that's yeah she likes to go to CVS and buy lots of lipstick so okay so I'm just gonna read um Alex is visiting New Orleans dealing with like a bunch of like the dying father stuff and she um has to deal with her family that's off in the distance the daughter and the ex-husband and I'm gonna read a little bit about from that section um and she's staying in downtown New Orleans at a hotel in the hotel room, Alex immediately missed the roof where she'd been cut off from the world. She glanced out through the window at the abandoned construction site next door, a building in exile from the rest of the city, unloved, unfinished for life, and then gave in and turned on the television set. It was how she was raised, televisions in practically every room in the house, kitchen, living room, everyone's bedrooms, her father's study, one on the back patio just out of reach of the pool water. The only place that had been TV-free was the dining room, but often the kitchen set was left on during meals inside of where her father sat at the head of the table, so could lean back and catch the sports scores. S scores. Clarity of thought was dangerous in their home. The background hum was what made the house run. Then no one had to articulate their words. Conversation just gave way to the rumble from room to room. Low-level noise was what her father desired, except when he wanted complete fucking silence, of course. Whatever soothed him, he got. There was nothing soothing about television these days. All the news was bad. Our president was a moron, and the world was falling apart. She thought this every single day. Uh, I wrote this last year. Um, Alex, Alex sprawled stomach down on the bed and watched the talking heads anyway. What horrors awaited? She took no pleasure in the knowing, yet being informed satisfied a part of her. One could be both satisfied and unhappy simultaneously. She had known this for a long time. Which side of the scale was being tipped at any given moment was up to her. She had chosen unhappy lately. It seemed easier in a way. But she was still a mother, a job title that forced her to act at least a little satisfied. Her iPad beeped. It was her daughter, Sadie, FaceTiming from Colorado. Alex muted the television set but turned on the closed captioning, just in case. Alex and Sadie waved at each other, Sadie's smile a metallic gleam of the most expensive, longest-running batch of braces in history, like some well-loved sentimental Broadway musical. Sadie rolled onto her back and took the iPad with her. Her hair splayed around her on the bed. Look how pretty my daughter is, thought Alex. 
How's grandpa, said Sadie. Still sick, said Alex. Like, still sick like get better sick or sick like die sick. I don't want to be casual about this. He's very sick and he's not awake and he'll probably die. Are you sad? I don't know about sad. It's a different feeling than I've had before, said Alex. Are you sad? I didn't really know him, so I'm going to feel bad if you do because I love you, said Sadie. My heart, thought Alex. You're a great kid, she said. How's it going there? Since Sadie had arrived in Denver, her Instagram feed was full of pictures of the exteriors of pot dispensaries, and Alex had complained to her ex-husband about it, and he had said, what do you want me to do? They're everywhere. It's not if she's smoking pot. I can't stop her from taking the pictures when I'm not around. And then she'd had to have the conversation with her daughter, are you smoking pot? Mom, no, you can tell me if you are. Mom. <laughs> Alex steeled herself for the worst every time they spoke. Just now, Sadie said, well, daddy has two girlfriends. How do you know? Because one girlfriend I met, and we went to dinner with her, and her name is Natasha, she's fine, and the other girlfriend we ran into at the mall. Maybe she was a friend of his. No, she squeezed his hand really tight. I saw it. Okay, said Alex, this guy, she thought. He's probably dicking it up all over Denver. Well, Bobby can do as he, as he pleases. He always has. And then she said she'd called him last night, and he said he'd had the phone off because he was at a movie with me, and he wasn't at a movie with me because he was at a movie with, with Natasha. Like, he didn't even think twice. He just totally lied to this woman. I couldn't figure out if I was supposed to lie to or not. Alex put her hand to her head. One second, honey, she said, and moved the iPad away from her head so Sadie couldn't see her full physical response, which was a complete thrust of her face into disgust. Mom? Alex put the iPad on mute and screamed, then unmuted it and returned to the screen. Sorry, I got a text. So what am I supposed to do when this kind of thing happens, said Sadie. Do I lie or not lie or what? Alex realized that this was an important moment in the development of her child. A question was being asked that needed a responsible answer. She could teach her child about honesty and about the way she deserved to be treated by a man, but also how it was possible to love someone even if they were deeply, deeply, deeply flawed. And if she were to be fair to her ex-husband, how it was possible to be attracted to two people at the same time, even have two separate relationships, but that was his line of defense, not hers. Or was she supposed to tell Sadie that her father didn't know how to keep his dick in his pants and that he never had, not for as long as she'd known him, not in college when he was someone else's boyfriend cheating with her, not when they lived together in Chicago when they were in law school, not after they got married and moved to the suburbs when they were both equally bored, but still somehow she had managed to remain faithful while he hadn't. Not ever was there a time when that man's penis stayed put where it was supposed to be, instead living its life as a free-flying dilettante, a party penis, as if it were some sort of rich kid kid celebrity DJ hitting new hot spots, London, Paris, Ibiza, except instead of those cities, it would be a paralegal's vagina instead. <laughs> you know what? Put your father on, said Alex. She watched as her daughter traveled through her ex-husband's new home, a condo high above the city, windows, light, windows, light, a framed picture of a motorcycle? That can't be right. Surely not. She felt dizzy from the bounce and jitter of the iPad's camera, so by the time her daughter arrived in what appeared to be the living room, where there was all white furniture as far as the eye could see, good lord, who had all white furniture? She felt a little seasick. Spill something on that couch, Sadie, she thought. Spill everything. Okay. I feel like I want to face out. I feel like I'm yeah, losing. I know. Everyone. I don't know. Yeah, now that you've read that penis thing, I feel. That was for you. Was yeah, I kind of you. feel empowered to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so in one one thing I loved, and you, you kind of brought this up, um, you know, so it's, it's an interesting time to write about bad men. Mm. Um, and I thought it was so, I can only describe it as elegant, the way you just kind of iced him, you know, right at the beginning, yes. you know, um, and and you're like, yes, you know, we're going to write about him, he's here, but he's in a coma, um, and, and I thought that that was so smart, and I just wondered if you could kind of begin by talking a little bit about um, writing about bad men right yeah. now. So the, originally, the beginning of the book was actually chapter six of the book. And for many, many drafts, it was chapter six of the book, which is just Alex at the beginning, not uh, just a couple of moments before what I just read, where she's sitting um, on the roof of a hotel. Um, and that was, how it, that was my way into the book, was seeing, mm -hmm. seeing a woman sitting on the roof of a hotel kind of thinking about this sick father mm. uh, and like how she wanted to know his secrets, but at the same time, 
and was kind of like feeling weird, it's weird and sad as you can sometimes grieve people even if you don't love them or have mixed feelings towards mm. them. And so I, that mm. was really how it started. And my intention was purely to write from uh, all female perspectives in the book um, as I tend to write a lot from female perspectives and mm -hmm. to never even go anywhere near this man at all. And so, and then as I started writing the book, some male perspectives wormed their way in and I was fine with them. Um, and it was just taking place like, um, you know, over the course of this one day, it's, the book is split into the morning and the afternoon and the evening. That was it for four or five drafts. And then I, I got a couple of notes from people along the way that maybe there's something that needed to happen a little bit beforehand. And so I started investigating other characters right before the moment, like a couple days before that. Mm. And then I thought I never wrote in his perspective at all. I'm just going to try it because I just hated him so much. Mm -hmm. And I really try to approach all my characters with compassion. It's really important to me to do it. So I was like, let me give it a shot. Let me get in there. Let me see what's going on. And mm. I still didn't like him. And I had I could last about two pages, two or three pages with him. So I did mm -hmm. give him his like little moment, and it was very genuine on my part mm -hmm. of like getting to know that character. But and and even starting the book with him, but it's very it's it's really um, direct. It's a really directed and explicit gesture on my part that you only see him for that period of time, and then that's it. Because I because I don't think there's anything we're going to learn about a, a, this bad man mm -hmm. um, that we don't already know. Mm -hmm. I felt you setting a boundary with him, um, and that was just something that I wanted to thank you for, because I think like it hadn't occurred to me that in with fictional characters sometimes, I mean, like with these people that we're creating ourselves, um, they they can they can go too far, right? Like with us, like they can. We just get into it, yeah. And I I mean it was it was tricky because I really I am used. You want to sort of give the full story. Yeah. Even I have a lot of smaller characters in the book, which we could talk about later, that just mm -hmm. show up, and I even think yes. I gave them more. Of a well, I mean, you do know. Every, I feel like you learn everything you need to know about about him in it. Mm. But um, but it was. But then I, I mean, I really had to kind of say to myself and give myself permission, like all the all the rules that apply. Uh, we need to sort of throw them out the window when yeah. it comes to this kind of character and this person, because I feel like we spent a lot of time talking mm. about this this like like strong, maybe perhaps charismatic, wealthy, toxic man where he becomes the anti-hero and then we give him more credibility than we should po possibly give him and it's like fuck that like we got we're done like let's finish that mm. and move on to something else like mm -hmm. if as long as we keep giving him giving him that space then he gets to be he gets to have it yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely um and just like also um, the first curse of the night there we go, right there. Oh, well, are we first, not allowed to? No, I don't know, but I have been cursing a lot on this tour, so <laughs> clocking in at like two minutes or something like that. A lot of fuck that going on in this tour, so. Well, no, and that, that comes up a lot of times with, um, with you know, conversations I have with people like surrounding succession, you know, and yeah. sort of like some of... I think about it all the time. I mean, yeah. I, I, I watched that show and I like ate that show up, but at mm -hmm. the same time, it's like a dad and three sons yeah. and one daughter, yeah. and she only gets, so that's like yes. one-fifth of the gays goes to the lady. Yes. Of the house. And then the rest, and I'm like, what happens if it was all women or what happens if it's all daughters or whatever? Like, how do we, like, how do we reclaim it? And, and. You put him in a coma. Like, you put him in a fucking. Well, that's Isn't that brilliant? Like, yeah, but he was in a coma for the first half of that series, you know, the first half of that season. And then they brought him back. And yeah. I was like, damn, we were so close. We were right. so close. Yeah. I mean, I, again, Didn't we I, almost have it all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I want to I wanna go back to what you were saying also about compassion. So before, right before we came out, um, Jamie turned to me and said, um, why can't I ever write a cheerful book? Yeah. <laughs> um, it is a funny book. It's such a funny hope, book. But it is like when someone's saying toxic man in a coma, it's just layered <laughs> immediately or weighted. Yeah. There's so much hope. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to talk, and we can just talk about, um, yeah, so now, now that we've talked about him, um, we don't have to talk about yeah, him right, again good. at all. Um, but it, it gives me hope so much in that I feel like you really, um, it's not just that like you let your characters be human and flawed. I mean, like that's really kind of like the way that we meet them and the way that we get to know them, um, which is so 
special. I mean, that's always kind of like what I wish for in a relationship, you know, is that I could just fast forward to the part, you know, where like we're being relational, you know, with kind of like the most broken mm. parts of ourselves and like so honest. And that's always when we meet your characters. And to me, your books are are very cheerful in that, you know, like when I see that sprawl um, of, of them being so flawed, not in a way that um, I, I guess kind of along with compassion, I wondered if you talk a little bit about judgment um, because I, I feel like to me, like that's part of what's so magic, um, you know, definitely about this novel, but, but all, all of kind of, you know, your, your fiction really is that I, I do not feel kind of like the characters being judged. Although, although, although him. I do, coma. I do, coma means judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Coma means judgment. Parenthetical. I, I did. I really was like wrestling so much with these characters and trying to understand who mm. they were and trying to arrive at that place because I think that everybody is so flawed in this book and there's like a lot of like complicitness in mm -hmm. with him and ethical challenges that that go along with it. And but I it, because I'm just really digging at, really driving at, trying to under, understand it and um, because there's like. Because it's character driven, right? Mm -hmm. So like, there's pl there's political stuff in the book that I'm working through. But if my characters aren't aren't working, then it then the book is. I mean, it's. I, I think that I've learned in the past that I've had like preachier moments in my books, mm. and it doesn't like early in my career because I was like, oh, I'm got important things to say. I'm a young novelist, and now mm -hmm. it's like I do have those things, but there's a way to say it. And also, I really, truly want to understand these characters, and I want to create characters that I feel like more than ever I'm in conversation with a readership because I put out seven books over 14 years, so I'm aware of like people showing up for a reading, and I'm aware of it getting reviewed, and I'm aware of like how the internet discusses it. And so I offer these characters up, and I try to create something, characters that are sort of that there's enough space in the book for mm. readers to insert themselves into it and to have their own kinds of conversations with it because I allow that how I feel about them, like how I might possibly judge them is not how other people might judge mm. them too. And so what's the end goal is to get people to like be engaged with the ideas and get and get through this book and also be entertained and be chant, like all of these things that I ha mm. want to have happen in the book. And so part of that ha has to be with me trying to understand, really trying to understand them. But I think that there's plenty of judgment in this. I mean, I feel a little, because my authorial voice sneaks in here and there and set, and sort of makes little judgments here and there. Well, they're objectively bad decisions yes. that, yeah, are, yeah, objectively yes. described. Um, but I wanted to ask you about that because, I mean, I, I think always kind of, you know, when you have a new book come out, I'm like, um, okay, well, this is really my favorite, you know, like of, of, of your, your books. And then like the next one will come out and I'm like, this is really my favorite. Oh, okay. <laughs> but this time, like, this is really my favorite. Oh, <laughs> um, and I think because of that, in, in that sort of with these characters, um, you know, I would be like so relational, you know, like to them and so like with them, you know, and kind of like, you know, understanding like, okay, like this is the team I'm on and then they would make a choice. Mm. And I would be like, <gasps> yeah. Um, and it was a really great thing to get to sit with, you know, um, as as a reader. And it was just so this much is like my juicy, fun. My juiciest book for sure. Like yes. a lot happens in this book, as opposed like my previous books. I mean, I love all my books for different reasons, but like my, it, I tend to write more of like smaller emotional mov movements moving forward. Characters having realizations where this is like very much more plotty and has a, like a lot more scandal and drama and stuff like that going going on in it. But I mean there was that meta thing of I mean and you you brought it up with family. I think like we always kind of have this um this struggle especially, you know, as kind of we, you know, the older we get, the more we can kind of learn about our, our sort of, you know, family members and, you know, elders as humans and kind of like their full spectrum of behavior. And I think like that is always the challenge of like, you know, like, can I, can I sit with them through this? You know, like how, you know, how does this affect, you know, sort of our, our love and, you know, if, uh, how does this affect our boundary? You know, like in what ways, like, am, am I changing, you know, and, and can I kind of like still, still be with you? I mean, that's, probably because I'm getting older, so I'm able mm. to think about that a little mm. bit more. I mean, I don't, you know, a lot of this, Alex's goal, this, this daughter, is really to find out all the secrets about her family in this book. 
and she doesn't actually ever really, I'm not really giving anything away. Like we know, mm -hmm. the reader knows what the secrets are, but mm -hmm. she doesn't actually, she finds out some things, but not all the things. And it's, yeah. and it's really like the point of it is like that it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. if you know your family secret. I mean, uh, to me, this book, I mean, whatever, this book is about. So every time I go, well, really what this book is about, but it's really about uh, lots of things are going on in it. Yeah. But when I think but about. what's it really about? It's about me. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not about me. Um, <laughs> but it's but I, I do think it's about um, kind of getting like letting a lot of stuff go and just moving on. And I don't I don't a theme throughout my work really is about this is about how closure is sort of bullshit and irrelevant. I've written about that a bunch a bunch mm -hmm. of times because I don't people are looking for that. Mm -hmm. um, they're looking for that answer and that solution and and closure. And I think it's a bit particularly American thing to actually to want closure. Mm -hmm. And um, and actually, you don't need it. Mm. You just need to sort of decide. Mm. So it that's like, that's to me what it's about. So you can like, see all these things and have these shifting feelings about characters and different things can pop up. But really, like at some point, you you have to. It's the book sort of invites you to just figure out what how you, who you are. You know, like all the characters are trying to figure out exactly who they are so they can move on. So what would you say that? that this book is, is saying or exploring about family? What is it exploring about family? Yes. Oh, gosh, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I, I can tell you why I'm interested in writing about family, which is that it's very, I have written books that are about acquired families, like mm -hmm. meaning relationships or friendships. And that is, um, it's not that it's less challenging, but it's a different dynamic. Whereas when you write about a family, you don't choose them at all. And mm. so it's an incredible way to write about America when you write about mm. a family because there's all these different viewpoints and po political systems and ethics mm. and coming coming through. Um, and But also it's just like juicy and gossipy. And I kind of view what I do as just gossiping about my characters in a way. So I, I think I like that. But what am I trying to say? I don't know because it's like constantly... You, I mean, you just got to, like, deal with them is mm. kind of it, mm -hmm. you know, whether yeah. you want to or not. Yes. Um, and I have this dream kind of of, like, opening, like, your like, – like, like, that there's, like, like your room in the <laughs> library, and, like, I'm, like, the curator, and then I give these, like, this, craft talks. This is what would be in it. Yeah. <laughs> and I make little signs, yeah, of your covers with Sid and cupcakes. Um, and so then I assign, like, you know, one aspect of craft to, like, each of your novels. Um, and I was just thinking about, you know, kind of, like, the next time I teach this and, you know, what, what sort of, you know, venue, like I, like what, what I would approach, you know, like craft wise. Um, and I think, I think setting would be a really fun, you know, kind of like window. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to just kind of ask you, um, about, yeah, the different choices for setting and, um, if you were nervous at all, you know, just kind of yeah. like about, um, you know, writing, writing a new place. in a new place. Yeah. yeah. So I've written, um, three of my books have been set in New York. I lived in New York for 16, I think 16 years, something like that. A couple of my books have been set in the Midwest. I have, my story collection was set all across America. And, um, I moved to New Orleans about in February, it'll be four years full time. I was living there part time. And, um, and I was scared to write about New Orleans because I was new and I felt really new there. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a really specific place. It's a small city. It has an incredible history. It has obviously had a dramatic changes post-Katrina to it. And also the, there's been a population shift of 30%, like people like mm -hmm. me moving down to New Orleans. Um, so I was really worried about it. And then I kind of was waiting. It was another permission thing where I was kind of waiting for somebody to give me permission, I don't know why I thought that, to write about this place. And then I realized I had to give myself permission to do it, which is like, you have to give yourself permission to create any kind of art, right? No one ever comes mm -hmm. down from the heavens is like, you write this novel now. You have to just wake up. And that's what I did. I woke up and one day, mm -hmm. probably wrote it in my journal and said, just do what you do here. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what you do. And so that was, um, and that was kind of how I got started. But my access point to write about the city was really to start from people who were new in town. Mm -hmm. And then as I wrote through the book, I um, 
these native New Orleanian characters started popping up and were like, you actually are not allowed to tell the story of the city without us. Mm -hmm. And that, and so then it became more of a, ba a balance going on there, uh, even though the core family is uh, people who've either lived there post-Katrina or as recently as two years. So that was part of it. Um, it was actually an incredible joy to do research for this book because I I did a lot of road trips. Mm. So I drove like all over, not just in New Orleans, but over all over the region. So uh, like um, a very good example of this is that I, Twyla, um, I had I decided that she'd grown up on a pecan farm. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I picked a pecan farm. I, I liked her in a farm, and I liked the and I picked pe I just picked pecan mm -hmm. randomly. And you don't actually nuts. My last name's Nutting. Nuts. Just saying. I right. It was my tribute. Yeah. My tribute um, to Alyssa. And um, I see you. And um, and I so then I was like, well, if you're gonna do that, then you actually have to go to a pecan mm -hmm. farm and see where she grew up. Mm -hmm. So I drove to Alabama um, and drove to a pecan farm. Oh. And they had like a little pe pecan brittle store there mm -hmm. that you could go in. And I went in and I was talking to them and I asked if I could go and walk around the land. And they said, no, because it rained last night and there are snakes everywhere. Ooh. And I said, I will take that detail and put it <laughs> in my book. Thank you very much. And that was just an instance of you mm -hmm. have to, sometimes you just have to like really insert yourself into the setting and into the landscape and then I mean Pete we're so used to just looking at Google and being like what's that street look like what is that you know an mm -hmm. image search or something like that and there's no way snakes coming out after the rain was going to pop up on any in fact I did look it up afterward just to see if not in an image search but just mm -hmm. if like the information of snakes coming out after a rain on a pecan farm would have ever been Googleable, and it was not ever <laughs> going to be Googleable. so mm. I, so that was part of, it was a great opportunity for me to get to know the region because I was new to it. And then also it just, all these incredible natural elements started popping up everywhere I went. I just, this is probably my most kind of, nat, the, the book that is the richest with natural elements in my work. I mean, especially having written about New York, it's mm -hmm. such a urban, it's all about the streets there. So, mm -hmm. I don't know, just kind of, I loved it. I love, I like, I really, I do write a lot about where, I am or where the characters are and it's a way of consuming it and um, offering a tribute to it. Hmm. And um, and so I wanted to ask just um, in gossip kind of like terms um, if if you could just describe um, a really high point um, personally like that you had kind of in the process of writing it and if you could describe like a really low point that you had in the process of writing it. Okay let me think. Um, I had, there's a character that shows up really late in the book. I don't really want to give too much away, but mm -hmm. she's a native New Orleanian character. Mm -hmm. And she was probably, I probably wrote that chapter like eight times, mm -hmm. nine times. And I wrote the same chapter over and over and over again. And I never actually revised it. I just had all these chapters sitting next to each other mm -hmm. in a document. Mm -hmm. And, and then I finally would just pick out like the best sentences and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and merge it all together. And I was very protective of that character because mm -hmm. in, a, in some ways she represented all of New Orleans to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I did, uh, I don't want to say what she did, but I went mm -hmm. to her job and did research. If you read the book, like you'll know mm -hmm. where I went to do research for her job. And um, I just thought really, and thought about life and death a lot when I was writing it and was very proud mm -hmm. with how it turned out. And a lot of people like her, that chapter a lot. And so mm -hmm. that meant a lot to me. Um, I don't know. I, the low point really is, um, I mean, I'm very tired on this book tour. So mm -hmm. I've been traveling a lot. So in a way, the publication of the book, even though it's quite mm -hmm. joyous, but it's also like very intense and you're just putting yourself out there a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think that is very, it's really hard. But in terms of like writing it, like I, I think it's probably the same for you. Writing is very playful and joyful for me. And <laughs> it's not. <laughs> It's not? No. No, but your writing feels that way. Your writing feels like so playful to me. Mm. It's not? No. No. Really? No. It is hard. I think hard, it is, yeah. But do you enjoy like living in the universe of these characters? Oh. <laughs> That's so interesting. No, you don't That's like so it. That's so interesting. Well, I remember once we were at a thing together and we had like maybe like an hour you know, like in between stuff, and I was gonna go, you know, like do something awful, like watch Law and Order or something. You know what I mean? And you were like, "I'm, I'm gonna work." You know, like I, I'm gonna write. Like, you know, you really like wanted to get, you know, back to your people. Yes. Um. And and yeah, I um, 
I, I, I really loved that. And I, you know, I, I definitely... I think what we did was we ate a bunch of Taco Bell instead, actually. Okay. That's what we did. But. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we did that. Yeah. Maybe we did that, too. Uh, was that your first Taco Bell? Was that that night? That I No, but it was like you wanted me to try some kind of Taco Bell that I never had before. And I like, did. How have you never... And I right. was like, I don't know. I live in New York City where we don't, there's other things to eat there besides Taco Bell. Right, yeah. right. So, I mean, do you go through kind of like a withdrawal when you finish something? Do you have like a kind of depressive, we were, we, is it like a breakup? We were just like actually talking about mm-hmm. how um, I'm not writing right now because I'm on mm-hmm. tour and I feel like I miss it so much because if I left my own devices, my brain will eat itself. Mm-hmm. And so it's better to have something for me to work on and chew on mm-hmm. rather than me and like mm-hmm. whatever's going on in my life mm-hmm. um, or not going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, so I think that, yeah, I don't know. I don't get depressed when I, I'm, I get very happy when I'm done because I'm ready for people to see it. I like mm. it. I don't, I like it when my friends see it and my editor who I have a really good relationship with sees it or, you know, my peers see it. I like it when people who really like to read see it, when my readers see it. Um, I don't, I like it less maybe when it gets review, reviewed, like that's hard because it feels businessy in a way. Um, but I don't, um, I don't ever, I'm never like, oh, I want to stay. I want to keep writing these characters forever. Like when a, mm. when a book is done, I definitely want it to be done because I like the landing, the ending. Mm. Like that feels fun. Mm-hmm. We could do our craft, my craft talk on landing, Ooh, the, on landing, landing the, the endings. Ending. I think that's the most fun thing ever to like come up with a good ending. And yeah. how do you know? How do you know personally? Well, I, two of my books made me cry at the end. Ooh. So I knew I was done because I wrote to crying. Um, the Middlesteens and All Grown Up, both of the endings made me cry for wow. the, those. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Maisie just sort of made me feel wist, wistful at the wistful. ending, um, but with a little bit of hope. And then, um, and this one was, um, a, really what it is is about making sure that all your characters have their final say. So a lot of it is mm-hmm. just like going through everybody and being like, are you done, are you done, are you done, are you done? And then with this book I had, I thought I was done and then I was like, oh, I forgot about these two guys. Mm-hmm. Not guys, but two characters. And I, like, went back and I put them in, and then I knew I was done. Mm. Like, I listen – it's about listening to your characters and making sure they're taken care of. So what would you say, then, like, about about closure? Because, um, I mean, clearly it's kind of like a narrative construction, right, Mm -hmm. Um, that that we do and sort of – there are, like, it, it's necessary for, you know, like, a, a book to feel satisfying, right? And sort of like the book which has a, you know, objective end, but but things, you know, are, are going on kind of within within the story. How do you balance sort of that in, in wrapping everything up, knowing that, like, you're very much, you know, kind of, like, thematically making the statement that, like, things don't get wrapped up? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I just know... Mm-hmm. I just know it doesn't have to be a happy ending. That mm. like life isn't really like a happy ending, ever really truly a happy. I mean, happy ending is like then you die, and that's the ha- maybe the happiest. I know that sounds terrible, but you know what I mean. Like I do know what you yeah, mean. Okay. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I don't know. I just um, I, I just try to get them to a place like like safe land, like safe mm. landing, like a raft or a shore or whatever and then whatever happens after that it's not my responsibility but I got them to that place they're on the buoy yeah hanging on for dear life sometimes but yeah well yeah I want to leave time for questions is there anything that that you would like to express about I want to express how much I like you thank you you. and I want to express how proud I am because you're at you're here now making a tv show out of your last book wow yeah oh thank you Thank you very much. She shot, the pi- is... shot the pilot, so that's really great. So that's what I wanted to explain. You asked. I could say anything. It's my reading. So that's what I want to talk about is you. I feel so betrayed. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be really fun to, to chat. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there... Should I put this out? Or... Um, I don't know. Or can we all just hear each Here? other? Yeah. I does, could repeat. Does anyone have any questions? Yes. Yes. And, and the ending was gorgeous almost. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I loved it. Yeah. Oh, and, well, that's great. And I'm not saying I'm not going to like this, but I wondered what drove you to then 
So I think there are two things going on. First of all, like it's funny because at the end of that book, I totally know what the end. I feel like I know exactly what happens after that that scene, but I also did want it to just feel that way, like feel sort of like lovely and sad at the end. Um, but um, I think part of it is that because that book was first person narrative, and I and there's so many constraints to writing first person narrative, even though there's a lot of power that comes out of writing a first person narrative, like. There's so many great great things about it, that but I this book was maybe a response to that book in that I suddenly had all these different kinds of voices because mm -hmm. it's there's so many close third perspectives in this book, and it was I didn't want to write the same thing again. I wanted to write something different. I will say also that I. It's definitely my post 2016 election book, and I had a lot I had a lot to say, and I had a lot of moving parts that were in my head, and so I think that it was, I don't know if I necessarily chose to do it so much as it just was a natural. It was like a natural choice, but then once I was in it, I was like, "Oh, this is really." I've always wanted to try to to try to do it, um, but I also like liked everything else that I had written. But it was—I don't know if I could do it every single time, but I I really enjoyed making things move a little bit more. It was—I think it's fun to read. I think I would say. And um, a really great thing that um, Jamie told me once about Close Third, um, you said that you love it because um, you can also like talk about the character's subconscious that way, mm. which I thought was so valuable. And that's you can just keep I've... doing so many. You can just keep pulling back. Like, yeah. Whatever you can like make all your own rules anyway. So, but like Close Third is, yeah, it's juicy. You really sold me. Okay, good. Great. <laughs> I'm so glad you remember things I said. That's exciting. I remember everything. My brain's a prison. <laughs> um, okay, anybody else? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. I just let everybody say whatever they have to say, and then I go back and like tweak. I mean, I don't really from my first draft to my to my last draft. It's not so dramatically different. Um, I would. I mean, there's things that get added in, but the real the writing like the first draft through and the the emotions are really real. So I just let her because it's usually it's mostly Alex, but then also Barbara too. I think um, are really the ones who are having like the deepest feelings about him, and I just kind of like let that let them go, and then I like kind of like carve around it but it's always emotions and character and voice first for me and then and then I'll go back and sort of rearrange the pieces of it Did you did you read this book? No. Oh, okay. It's this all in there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and both of you, um, because the South is so involved in this, climate migration and the patriarchy, it's just like, you know, it's just like, and I'm wondering, because I don't think the patriarchy is really flexible enough to deal with. Uh, what are we going to do? Yeah. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know. I think, I, I mean, I... There's, there's, as I said, there's some wish fulfillment in this book, like, but I don't, I, I personally am not like a, a smart, a smart or enough person to like develop like an incredible political plan or, but I do think that it, it starts with uh, questioning the system and see and recognizing how it's broken. I mean, it's fucked up. It's like a system that's both broken and functioning at the same time. It's functioning for the people it works for, and it's broken for the people that it doesn't work for. And so I, I w would invite people in, through this book, and I'm certainly not the only person who's doing this, to sort of recognize how it's broken and how that and how it pa gets passed on and impacts generations. In terms of climate, I, this book is set on an incredibly hot day. That's all I can mm -hmm. say. It's, 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 the heat is all over the book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have lived through three summers now, and I'm fully in it and thinking about it a lot. I did it again. I'm almost into it a little bit. Like I'm almost yeah. a little like, like enjoy, not enjoying it, but I like get how you can live mm -hmm. in the heat, although I wouldn't want to do it all the time. But, um, but anyway, I, all those things I'm sort of thinking about, but I don't really, I'm, you know, I don't want to say what the novelist job is and what the novelist job isn't, but the, my novelist job is to present these, to present something for conversation and for discussion. 
and again, to create a structure and, and uh, characters that are flexible enough that people can insert themselves and start to think about these things. That's a good question. I don't know what we do about the patriarchy. <laughs> I don't. I think about it all the time. Anybody have any suggestions on what we do? <laughs> ladies, any ladies in the room? Any men in the room? Put them in a coma. Right, put them in a coma. <laughs> yes. To let them have the last. Um, no, I, as long as they have something interesting to say, mm. I will. I will like let them talk. Does it agree? You mean do they agree with me? Yeah. Um, I actually. I for sure feel like the la like the last sentence of the of this book is really tells you everything that this book is about, mm. for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's in the thought of a character. I mean, everyone was like, I just feel like, I don't want to speak for every writer, but I like a lot of writers were like, what are we going to do now? And it's like, you're going to write. Like, we're going to just keep writing. We're going to sit down and, and write. So I didn't. Um, 2016, I had a book that came out the winter of 2017. So I toured, I toured for All Grown Up right after, like, literally like two weeks after the Women's March and the inauguration and everything like that. So I it's actually been really this is not the, your, what you asked, but it's been really fascinating to tour in 2017 versus now and to see how America and how people feel is like mm -hmm. different because everyone was actually incredibly energized in 2017. Like people were freaked out, but they also were like, what are we gonna do? And let me tell you something, we got beat down in the last mm -hmm. couple of years. People are real tired. I mean, nobody's given up the fight, but it's, it's I mean, 2017 was like, I remember going to New York and it was just protests yeah. And everyone's protesting all the time, and it's definitely dialed, dialed down there a bit. So I don't, maybe that's why this tour, in fact, has been a little bit harder for me because mm -hmm. it's, I think I'm feeling what the audiences are feeling a little bit. Um, that wasn't what you asked. Was it hard? No, it was, yeah. It was, it was like, I don't know, we just have, we just keep going. That's what the, what's, what artists do. It's interesting to see all the stuff that's coming out of it now. Um, but also, you don't have to. You can write about whatever you want to write about. Yeah. But we're, I think people are just feeling it a lot. Yeah. Did you have trouble? Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. it's go uh, you're you're going to do great. <laughs> 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 yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. That it's a book. Ready to hand it over and let somebody read it all the way through, rather than just maybe, hey, can you read this chapter? So my my process is that I is that I usually write two books at the same time, and then one book will eat the other book. <laughs> and I used to write one book and then <laughs> and then finish it, and then throw it away, and then write the other one. And then I decided it was more cost efficient to just try to put the two against each other mm -hmm. and write 50 pages of this and 50 pages of this at the same time, because there's something I'm working out. And I, didn't, I was like, I don't actually need to write 300 pages to like figure that shit out. I can probably figure it out in 50 pages, what's working or not. Mm -hmm. so, um, so then I probably write about 50 to 100 pages. I give the 100 pages usually to my agent and maybe one other reader. And then he, will, he doesn't give me a lot of notes actually, but what he'll say is like, this is good or not good, you know, or like you would have to like make some changes for this to work. And if I don't want to make those changes, then I just don't write it. Like I just, and I write really fast, so I have the luxury of just like whipping something out and then throwing it away if I want to. Mm -hmm. And then, but usually I'll like if it's getting into 100 pages and I give it to him, then I know that it's it's somewhere. And then I'll I'll finish a first draft and I'll show it to. I have three three primary readers, first readers, and they and they're all different. They all have to offer me different kinds of things. And then um, and then I'll do another draft and another draft and um, but I, over a six month period, I usually finish like something pretty solid. And then that can go to my editor. And then I'll be ready to get notes. Mm. I just keep going until it's done. It's, I mean, it's like everyone has their own math, right? Like, what's your mm. math? Oh, <laughs> it's messy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. It's really upset. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to keep at I'm interested. That's why I'm asking you. I'm not trying to put you. Oh, yeah. No, I have to, um, I just have to really be like, um, like, ups, like I have to uh, be like an unhealthy person. Yeah. Like that's, you know, yeah. like my process. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I have to really, like it becomes my higher power, you know, like in a way that like every like therapist, you know, would like advise again oh. and like my life throws yeah like it, it throws your life in a like chaos and then you know like you can't sustain meaningful like emotional relationships you know like to other people okay like but, I would do it your way like if 50, I could but like 50 pages or 100 pages or just you don't even think that way you're just thinking can't talk to people at all Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. not till the first not, draft's done. You're not done. mathy about it. Like, I'm a little mathy about it. Mm, it gives no. me structure to my mm -hmm. life That's to know, great. like, that next year I'm going to write mm. another book and then I'm going to yeah. do it. And it's just, yeah, mm. I like it. Yeah. It makes me feel healthy. <laughs> Aspirational. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Good question. I mean, I think that when you, I think that when you, I think when my, I mean, the first book versus the seventh book is a totally different game because when you write your first book, you have no idea if anyone's ever going to read it or publish it or anything like that. But in fact, for my first book, I had read somewhere, oh, all you have to do is write a thousand words a day. So in fact, that's what I did for a three month period is write a thousand words a day. And I, and so I was like, oh, that seems to work. So, um, but I don't always have the luxury of like, okay, and now I'm doing it full-time and it's my living that I'm making. I, so, like, now it's, like, maybe the last four books it's been that way, but the, for the first three, I was stealing. I was freelancing. I was stealing time. I was going broke, mm -hmm. all those kinds of things. But I do think it's, like, if you – I what I learned was that if you want it to be your job, you have to treat it like, treat it like it's your job. Mm -hmm. And so I, it's, it, it's a nine mm -hmm. to five or six to three thing for me, and I just, do, I just keep doing it. I learned – I mean, I got better at it and figured out what worked for me. I wanted it to – Work. I needed something to work for me. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was that your sort of, um, is that the idea behind your, the couple weeks where we do a thousand words a day? Oh, um, yes. I guess I can, has anyone I'll here talk done about that. a thousand yeah. words a summer? Oh, hi. Oh, yay. Hi, guys. Yay. Every, every um, tour, tour stop I've gone on, I've had people who've done it, which is mm -hmm. really cool. So I, two Summers ago, I have a friend in New Orleans who is a memoirist, has written one book, and then she also is a teacher, and she um, wanted to start her new proposal, and I was finishing up this book, I think, or starting this book or something like that. And um, I said, well, let's do like a little boot camp. I, I'll, I always do a 1,000 words, and we'll just do it every day for two weeks. And, mm -hmm. and then I like tweeted about it, and maybe I posted on Instagram that I was going to do it, and all these people said that they wanted to do it. So then I was like, all right, I'll just like put a little like mailing list up to see if anyone wants to do it. And 2,000 people signed up for it like almost mm -hmm. immediately. So I was like, all right, now I guess I got to write these letters and whatever. And so that was the first year, but it was really great because um, the internet obviously can be an incredibly negative place, but for those two weeks that people are doing it, it's, it's like, you know, there's a little hashtag for it, a thousand words a summer and everyone, and it's like a safe place for people to go on Twitter and talk about writing and people have like finished books, people have gotten book deals, people have written for the first time in their lives, like there's so many, have written all different kinds of things and then this past summer I did it again and 5,000 people signed up for it which was actually a little top heavy because there were people who were just signing up for it and they didn't know what it was. And then they go on the hashtag and be like, this is too much work. And I'm like, you don't have to do it. <laughs> like nobody is making you do this thing. You can just not do it. Like just get off my hashtag. If you're with, like, we're just trying to all be nerds here. Let us be nerds here. But it's, and, but this tour has been the first time that I've toured. It's been a really like a, like a wonderful, beacon of light for me on this tour because in New Orleans I don't talk about it really with people so it's just like a primarily something that I do on the internet and then it's done and then to go out on tour and meet people every stop basically and who have done it and I'm like oh I'm so glad I didn't make this up in my head because it really could have been that way but actually people are really doing it and so it's really mm. I think next summer will be more because I switched to a new email list so I can have more than 5,000 people on it and I'm a little 
worried that it'll be a lot more, mm. like the more people who are on doing it, the more work it is. Um, but I, I think it's nice, uh, it's a nice way to talk to other raters and participate in the rating community, which has always been like so helpful to me to be a part of. I never was a part of, of the community mm. until I was part of a rating community. I was such a wanderer until I like mm -hmm. found th these people. And so it's nice to be able to give back to that and have people um, get something out of it. I, I just want to know, it's like, it sounds so silly or basic, it's like to just get that email that could, like the first line is like, today you will write 1,000 words, and I'm like, by God, you're right, I will. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's like, nobody's checking, but there's something about, it's almost like, you're confident mm -hmm. we'll do that. You're I do like, think okay, so, I'll yeah, yeah, I do think so. I mm -hmm. think it's like, you can be, and also it's like, you can. it can be any kind. I think that people are too precious about their writing and they're too afraid and they want it to be perfect. And so the, a lot of the encouragement of this is, it can just be anything that you want it to be. It can mm -hmm. just be, it doesn't have to be perfect. It can just get it out on the page and see what happens. And it doesn't have to be, I'm not being critical of whatever the national novel writing, whatever that NaNoWriMo. is. Yeah, like I can never say, I can't even bring myself to say it, mm. but like I think that that it can be helpful, but that is like t making you towards a very specific goal, and I really just mm. want people to like love writing and enjoy writing and get and like mm. get something out of it, like express themselves more than anything else, because it's a, been a gift to me. Yeah. Oh. So this is our sincere part of the conversation, <laughs> I love but that. I lo I feel it very much. Yeah. yeah. Well, Anybody else? Other questions? Yeah. How do I find? I mean, just over the years, really, mm -hmm. of like meeting other novelists along the way. But they're, I mean, I read for them too. Right. So um, I don't know. I got really, I got really lucky. I think I could probably there probably could be other people that I could. I actually, my next book is going to be non fiction, essay, memoir kind of stuff. So I think I might have to find some other kinds kinds of readers, you know. And then I also had a bunch of readers for this book who are native New Orleanians because I wanted to make sure I didn't screw anything up. So every stage of it, there's different people. And I'm, I am I'm try to do it for other people too. And we all have different things that we bring to it. I don't mm -hmm. know. I think you read it. I did. I was like your side piece. Yeah. <laughs> Reader, I'm not a primary, but. Yeah. You'll let me in at night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you want to come in during the day sometime. <laughs> you're busy. You're a busy person though, but yeah. Well, yeah, we'll we'll be here. Yeah. Um please um she's happy to sign a book. Um please help yourself to cupcakes. Um there are fans Thank with so um much. Sid. Can you talk can you just tell them who Sid is? This is my I might have gotten a different picture because this is like him and, and a Mardi It's the Gras. best picture. It's a Mardi Gras costume. But um, he's had, I have so many, I could have given you 10 different Mardi Gras costumes that I have him in. It's just my, you know, it's my dog. It's the little buddy. He's yes. like the best thing ever. Yes. He sits on my, you know, feet beneath the desk when yeah. I write. So you can it's read cute. this very, you know, hot day book and fan yourself with Sid and yeah. All right. Well, okay. thank you thank so you. much, Jamie. Thank you all so much for coming. Too much. So cute. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.